So I've had a number of people ask me, why Lamentations? And that's a good question. Uh, why would any pastor in his right mind, assuming he is in his right mind, choose to preach through such a dark and depressing book? It's a good question. Uh, preaching Lamentations is certainly not a popular thing to do. It's not as far as I know, included in any books, strategy books on how to grow a church. If anything, preaching Lamentations is probably a church reduction strategy. Uh, it's just not a fun book to read. So the question is, am I crazy? Or is there a method to my madness? And my hope this morning is that as we dig into the third chapter of the book of Lamentations, you might see a little bit of the method to the madness of preaching through this book. Um, but again, Lamentations, it's a challenging book. It's a book that addresses the reality and the difficulty of pain and the discipline of God, the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God. It's a book that zeroes in on and describes in vivid detail the ugliness, the consequences, and the punishment for our sin. And yet at the same time, Lamentations is a beautifully written poetic book. I've told you the last few weeks that Lamentations is written as poetry, that each of chapters one, two, three, and four are written as a Hebrew acrostic poem or an alphabet poem where each verse begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And this week, chapter three is a bit unique in that three verses are given to each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So uh, Lamentations is, is a challenging book. It's a dark book, and yet it's also an incredibly beautiful book in the way that it's written. And one of the things we're going to see this morning is that in the midst of this dark and yet beautiful book, there's an incredible amount of hope. And hope is our main subject today. I want you to open your Bibles up to Lamentations chapter three. And as you're turning there, grab your bulletin and you should have received an outline in there as well. And let me just uh, uh, go over quickly the, the breakdown, the outline of Lamentations chapter three. There's a couple different ways that you can look at the progression of thought here in Lamentations three. First, um, part one is really an emotionally charged section where Jeremiah, he's portraying himself as a soldier and he's seeing and feeling the destruction of Jerusalem through the eyes of a soldier. And the first section of the outline is very much charged emotionally. And the, the main idea is this idea of all hope has been lost. Because of what has happened, because of the destruction of Jerusalem and the defeat of God's people, it certainly feels to the soldier like all hope has been lost. But then, number two on your outline, there's a really interesting pivot that takes place. And it transitions from this real emotionally charged section to a heavy theological section where the soldier now reflects on the goodness of God. He recounts to his mind the loving kindness and the faithfulness of God, even in the midst of such darkness and suffering. And here the soldier, or Jeremiah, his hope is remembered once again. 
And then that then will take us to number three on your outline, more the applicational section as hope is realized. And this idea of hope is applied to the concept of the justice of God, that one day God's justice will reign over all the earth. So we're going to move from emotion to theology to application. We're going to move from hope uh, removed to hope remembered to hope realized. Let's take a look. First, at number one on your outline, hope removed. This emotionally charged section here in Lamentations chapter three. Let me begin by reading for you verses one through three. Jeremiah here seeing the destruction of Jerusalem through the eyes of a soldier. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me, he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. Once again, we're reminded of the depressing themes in the book of Lamentations, right? Jeremiah here depicting himself as a soldier whose job it was to protect the city of Jerusalem. He now describes himself as the man who has seen affliction, or as I entitled the sermon this morning, a man of constant sorrow, if you're familiar with the song. I'm the man who has seen affliction, and notice, because of the rod of his, God's, wrath. He, God, has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me, he, God, has turned his hand against me repeatedly all the day. I want you to feel what the soldier is here feeling and describing. This is heavy stuff. One of the interesting things as we work through these first 18 verses is the repeated word you're going to see over and over and over again is the word he, referring to God. God is the main subject here in these first 18 verses and almost every verb that's attributed to God depicts God as actively working against this soldier. God is the subject of almost every verb in these 18 verses, and every verb describes this hostility, this hostile action against the soldier. Another interesting observation before we jump into the rest of section one is many Old Testament commentators in the book of Lamentations have contrasted Lamentations 3 with Psalm 23. Psalm 23, you'll remember, is this beautiful poem of David where David describes the Lord as his shepherd and God leads David to green pastures. He guides David in paths of righteousness. David fears no evil. David is being comforted by the Lord, by the Lord's shepherding rod. David is being exalted in the presence of his enemies and he's followed by goodness and loving kindness forever and ever. Psalm 23 is this nice, pretty picture. But in Lamentations 3, we see 
very similar images and in many cases the exact same words of Psalm 23. But this time it's the exact opposite. The Lord with the soldier is taking the soldier through affliction. The shepherd's rod is wrathful, not comforting. The Lord is driving the soldier in darkness, not in light. The Lord's hand is against and not for this soldier in Lamentations 3. It's in many ways the lexical opposite of Psalm 23. Let me read for you Lamentations 3, verses 4 through 16. By the way, we have 66 verses to cover this morning, so we're not going to get into great detail on every single verse. What I want you to see here in this section, again, is just the repetition of the word he and the verbs against the shepherd that we see here described. Verse four, he, God, has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places, he has made me dwell like those who have long been dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for the arrow. He made the arrows of his quiver to enter my inward parts. I have become a laughing stock to all my people, their mocking song all the day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. Not a pretty picture of how the soldier feels. The hand of God clearly against him. Again, the opposite of what we read in Psalm 23. So after describing this, what is the conclusion that this soldier comes to? Notice verses 17 and 18. The soldier concludes, my soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. At the end of the day, after going through everything the Lord has taken him through, the soldier concludes that he's lost peace, he's forgotten happiness, his strength has perished, and so has his hope. His hope is completely removed. This is depression at its deepest and darkest level. But I ask you, have you ever felt this way? 
Have you ever been through such difficult times where you have felt like the soldier feels here that not only is God distant, but he is actually actively working against you? That the hand of the Lord, his rod of discipline is continually striking you? Like the soldier here in Lamentations 3, have you ever felt as though all hope is removed? Hope is lost. Again, I want you to notice the heavy emotion that we see here under number one on your outline. The soldier feels like God is against him. He feels like there is no hope. I want you to take note of that. If you write in your Bible, underline verse 18, my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. It's gone. But what's fascinating is as we now look at number two on your outline, to use this military and soldier imagery, the soldier under number two on your outline doesn't about face. He makes a turn, a hard pivot, and he recalls to his mind the theology he knows to be true about God. He feels like God is against him. But number two on your outline, he remembers, he recalls to his mind what is true about God. Remember the last few weeks as we've looked at Lamentations, I've told you, quoting Dr. Ryrie, that repentance is a change of mind that affects how one lives. And as we look at number two on your outline, the soldier has a change of mind. He, he feels like God is against him but he has a change of mind and he recalls now, he remembers the hope he does have in the Lord. And so the question you and I ask as we look at number two on your outline is what do we do? What do we believe when we feel like all peace, all happiness, all strength, all hope is removed? We have now hope remembered Lamentations chapter three, notice first verses 19 and 20. The soldier says, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. Here we see another just brief reminder of how the soldier feels. He is remembering his affliction, his wandering, the wormwood, the bitterness, all the bad things that's happened in his life. And as a result, verse 20, his soul remembers and is bowed down within him. Again, this is a description of just the low point of life. Total depression and despair. His soul is bowed down. But then comes the about face, the pivot, the turn, the change of mind in verse 21. The soldier says, this I recall to my mind, or literally, I return to my heart. Therefore, I have hope. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Remember at the end of verse 18, the soldier concluded, my hope has perished. But now he declares, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have 
hope. And so what is the thought that he recalls to his mind? Notice verses 22 and 23. Here's the theology, what the soldier remembers there in the midst of his depression and darkness, what he recalls to his mind that leads him to a place of hope. He says, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here we see the oasis in the desert of Lamentations chapter 3. The beautiful verses, if you've memorized verses in Lamentations, I almost guarantee these are the ones you've memorized. He declares this theology now that he's recalling to his mind, that he's returning to his heart, the basis of his hope. He says, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. The word there for loving kindnesses is that loyal covenantal love of God, his commitment to his people. The soldier remembers God's loving kindnesses, his loyal love, his commitment to his people, and he says his loving kindnesses never cease. It feels like God is the enemy. But the soldier here remembers what's true God is not the enemy. His loving kindnesses are new every morning. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The soldier here recalls to his mind that God offers a fresh supply of loyal love and compassion and faithfulness each and every day. And he proclaims now here to God, great is your faithfulness, even in the midst of judgment. Verse 24, he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. And notice again, therefore I have hope in him. Using this imagery of a soldier in warfare, the soldier here says, the Lord is my portion. The word for portion there is used to describe the spoils of war. And yes, Babylon has come in. They have utterly destroyed the people of Judah. They have destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They have carried off for themselves the spoils of war. But here the soldier declares that although the war over over Jerusalem has been lost, he has found something truly greater. The Lord is his portion. And from the ashes of defeat... And the rubble of the city of Jerusalem, the soldier has found all that he needs. And so he says yet again, therefore I have hope in him. Starting in verses 25 through verse 27, we see the repetition of the word good. As the soldier recalls to his mind the goodness of God. Notice verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Again, in contrast to what the soldier feels in the first 18 verses, here he declares that despite how he feels, he knows that the Lord is good. 
The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. So it's good, the soldier says, to wait silently for the salvation or the deliverance of the Lord. And in verse 27, it's good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. In other words, what the soldier here proclaims is that this lesson of the goodness of God, even in the midst of difficulty, this lesson is better learned when you're young than when you're old. Because then you can take this lesson of the goodness of God and and truly live it out and believe it all your days. Verse 28, let him sit alone and be silent since God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Notice perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach. Here we see a great posture of humility, of acceptance of the Lord's discipline in a person's life. The soldier says, let him sit alone and be silent. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach. But the big thing I want you to see here is the third time the soldier uses that word hope. Again, at the end of verse 18, he says his hope has perished. But now three times under section two, the soldier has said, I have hope. I have hope. Perhaps there is hope. Even in the midst of suffering. You see the big transition, the big shift between number one on your outline and now number two on your outline? It's a total change in tone. A total change in perspective. So how is this change in attitude possible? Well, notice verses 31 and 32. Again, coming in on great theology here, the soldier says, for the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. These are amazing verses here. Now, has God caused grief? Absolutely. Is the pain of the book of Lamentations real? Absolutely. But the discipline that God has brought about in Lamentations is just a seed of his greater promise that he's ultimately dealing with his people in faithful covenant love. We've talked about this in chapters one and and in chapter two as well. The idea of God's discipline is really part of his greater promise of love and compassion. We see this idea in the book of Hebrews as well. God disciplines those he loves as children, as sons and daughters. God disciplines us to correct us, to bring us back to himself when we have gone off path. And this is the idea we see here in these two verses. The Lord will not reject forever. Is he disciplining his people? Absolutely, but it's not gonna last forever. And then notice the if and then clause in verse 32. If he causes grief, and he has, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. 
Again, the, the backdrop of the book of Lamentations is Deuteronomy 28 through 30. This covenant that God had entered into with the people of Israel, and he told them the terms of the covenant very clearly. If you obey me, then I will bless you. But if you disobey me, then I will discipline you. And the promise we see here in verse 32 is that Deuteronomy 28, the discipline of the Lord, will eventually become Deuteronomy 30, the restoration of the Lord. That everything, as harsh as it is, everything that's taking place is actually a picture of God's faithfulness to his people. Another big verse is verse 33. Let me read for you verses 33 through 38. The soldier says, For he, God, does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the land, to deprive a man of justice in the presence of the Most High, to defraud a man in his lawsuit. Notice, of these things the Lord does not approve. God does not approve of these things. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Here we see language very similar to uh, the book of Job. But the main verse I want you to take note of here is verse 33. Now, like I said earlier, Lamentations 3 has 66 verses. And I'm not a mathematician, but that does mean that verse 33 is right in the middle, right? Um, Verse 33 is really the key verse of the entire chapter. It's really the key verse of the entire book. I know we memorize, when we memorize Lamentations, we memorize chapter 3, verses 21 through 24, but I would encourage you to memorize verse 33 as well. The soldier says, he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. Here we learn something very important about the character of God. Literally, the Hebrew says, he does not afflict from his heart. God does not afflict from his heart. The message, paraphrase, puts it this way. He takes no pleasure in making life hard. The Net Bible says he is not predisposed to afflict. The New Living Translation says he does not enjoy hurting people. See, one of the things we learn about the character of God here in verse 33 as it's put here in the center of the book for dramatic emphasis. It's really to correct this false idea that many people have of God. Many people have this false idea of God that God is this unjust, vindictive, moral monster who delights in catching people in their sins and laughs a diabolical laugh as he inflicts punishment. But that's not the heart of God that we see here in Lamentations 3.33. God does not afflict from his heart. In other words, Lamentations 3.33 conveys a reluctance on God's part to bring affliction. God is not a capricious God who delights in inflicting pain upon his people. But 
the discipline that God does bring ultimately does come from his heart of compassion. He's being faithful to his covenant. To put it simply, he doesn't want to discipline, but he must. Because he knows that's what is best for us. He knows that that's what he must do to bring Judah back to himself through repentance. See, number two on your outline, this section on hope remembered is filled with remarkable theology. We saw that through the eyes of this soldier, he felt as though all hope has been removed. But now number two on your outline, we see the hope remembered as he reflects, as he calls back to his mind the very character of who God is. Who is God? He's a God who exercises loving kindness and compassion and faithfulness, who does not afflict from the heart, but he truly is a God who loves. And based on this recounting and recalling of this theology to his mind, now under number three on your outline, the soldier applies this hope. This is hope now realized to his life. Notice Lamentations 3, starting in verses 39 and 40. The soldier says, Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins, or literally on the basis of his sins? Let us instead examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Here again, we see this transition. Uh, these verses of transition where after reflecting on the character of God and who God is, the soldier then starts asking the right questions. And he says there in verse 29, why should any living man, any mortal, offer complaint when we realize how sinful we truly are? Implied in this is they're getting everything they deserve. So instead of complaining, verse 39, what should be done, verse 40, you should start repenting. Instead of complaining, verse 39, start repenting, verse 40, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. The two words there, examine, examine and probe, both of these verbs have similar meaning, which means to search or to examine carefully. And part of repentance is when we as believers, we search our hearts, we examine our lives, and this is really the first step to genuine repentance. And then the second step we see there, let us return to the Lord. The word for return is one of Jeremiah's favorite words to describe the act of repentance, of turning back to God, of turning to him. So these are the introductory verses. In light of God's character, in light of the good theology in section two, he says, let's stop complaining and let's start repenting. And then this concept of repentance, he applies to three categories of people. We're gonna have to race through the rest of the verses, but what I want you to notice is uh, the soldier, Jeremiah, then applies this idea of repentance to three categories of people. First, he talks about his own people, the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, and you're gonna see the repeated word, we and us. We and us. 
Then he's gonna transition and stop using we and us and start using I, me, and my and apply this idea of repentance to himself. And then he'll shift again and switch pronouns and start using the word them and their. And he's gonna talk about the justice of God that ultimately will come upon the people of all the earth. Let's take a look again. Verse 41. Notice the repetition of the words we and us. We lift up our heart and hands toward God in heaven. This is the posture of repentance. We lift up our heart and hands towards God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. Notice the confession. And you have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and not spared. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us mere offscoring and refuse in the midst of the peoples. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have befallen us devastation and destruction. A couple things to note here. Again, notice the focus on the nation with the words us and we. He's describing here the idea of a corporate repentance, a corporate confession as the people of God there in Judah need to together confess their sins to the Lord. You see the posture of repentance as they lift up their hands, they acknowledge their sin, verse 42, their transgression and rebellion, and then they acknowledge the, the discipline God brought. I would propose to you as well that here in these verses we see a totally different tone. Under number one on your outline, I think there was this tone of, of almost, again, God is hostile, it's kind of a tone of complaining, but here I think there's an acknowledgement that everything the Lord has done is just. Starting in verse 48, we see the use of the words I, me, and my as the soldier now focuses in on himself. My eyes run down with streams of water because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes pour down unceasingly without stopping until the Lord looks down and sees from heaven. My eyes bring pain to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. My enemies are without cause, have hunted me down like a bird. They have silenced me in the pit and have placed a stone on me. Waters flowed over my head. I said, I am cut off. But then notice verse 55. I called on your name, O Lord. Out of the lowest pit, you have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief, from my cry for help. You drew near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. O Lord, you have pleaded my soul's cause. You have redeemed my life. O Lord, you have seen my oppression. Judge my case. Again, do you see the shift in tone? As the soldier, Jeremiah, as he, he weeps over the destruction of his people, 
He again describes the type of disaster, the calamity, the destruction that has befallen them. But you see the big shift in tone there, especially in the last few verses. Lord, you've pleaded my soul's cause. You have redeemed my life. You've seen my oppression. And then he asks God, judge my case. As he reflects on the character of God, his ask is for the justice of God. God, he says, judge my case. And that's what we see as we transition now into verses 60 through 66, recalling the justice of God. We see now in verses 60 through 66 how the justice of God will ultimately reign over all the earth. Verse 60, you have seen all their vengeance, describing the pagan peoples. You have seen all their vengeance, all their schemes against me. You have heard their reproach, O Lord, all their schemes against me. The lips of my assailants and their whispering are against me all day long. Look on their sitting and their rising. I am their mocking song. But then notice verse 64. You will recompense or return to them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them hardness of heart. You will, your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Now here, what the soldier prays for, the justice of God over the pagan peoples, we've seen this hinted at in chapters 1 and 2 as well. This idea that God's discipline among his own people is just a small piece of his greater justice that one day will reign over all the earth. That one day, the Lord will make everything as it should be. One day the Lord will pay people back for what they have done. Here really is hope realized that one day God will pay back evildoers. One day God will intervene and rescue. One day God will come near. One day God will bring ultimate justice. And this is the hope realized for the soldier. So this is Lamentations chapter three. A couple thoughts I have for you as we wrap things up here. Uh, three major observations I'd have for you in terms of application. The first one is that here in Lamentations three, on four occasions, we see the Hebrew word return. It's not always translated in the New American Standard as return, but four times that basic Hebrew word is used. This word for return that carries with it undertones of repentance, of turning to the Lord. Again, Charles Ryrie defines repentance as a genuine change of mind that affects the life in some way. And here we see, I think, lived out a repentance in the mind of the soldier himself. In point one on your outline, he feels as though God is against him. God is his enemy but then he himself, number two on your outline, recalls to his mind, he repents in his mind and he recalls in his mind good theology about who God truly is, the solid character of God. And then that's applied 
as he thinks about the justice of God under number three on your outline. And the great call there is in verse 40, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. The second major observation I have for you here in Lamentations 3 is this development of hope that we also see in the chapter. At the end of verse 18, the soldier feels like all hope has been lost. He feels like he's got nothing to live for. But then through this repentance, through this change of thinking, through this change of his mind, he then uses that word hope three times under number two on our outline where he says, I have hope. I have hope. I have hope in the Lord. Perhaps there is hope, he says. As he reflects on good theology and the character of God, suddenly the soldier's hope is remembered. And he then applies that hope to his life. But the third and perhaps the most important point I have for you this morning from Lamentations 3, it goes back to verse 33. This idea that God for the people of Judah and God for you and I, he disciplines, yes. But it's not in his heart to afflict or to destroy with pleasure. God must judge sin. There's no doubt about it. We can't escape that reality when we read Scripture. God is holy and he must judge sin. But he would much more rather show his love and compassion, which never run out. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. One scholar in his commentary on Lamentations puts it this way. He says, for people today, God himself has already paid the painful price for sin through the death of his son, Jesus, so that we do not have to experience the necessary judgment for sin. He says, God does not want to pour out his anger and wrath on us today. He's still reluctant to judge, but he will definitely pass judgment if we reject Christ and spurn God's love and compassion. But there is always hope because God's love and compassion are constant. His great love and compassion are renewed each and every morning. They never cease and never end. And listen, this is the most important message I want you to hear me say from the book of Lamentations. If you're here this morning and, and you don't know that you've been redeemed, that you've been forgiven, if you don't know with certainty that when Jesus died on the cross, he died in your place, that he took upon himself the very wrath of God that you deserve and I deserve, I want to pause right here and give you the opportunity, the invitation to put your faith in him. Forgiveness is ours not by anything we do, but it's 100% based on what Christ has already done. And that there on the cross, God has demonstrated in perfect beauty his loving kindness, his compassion, his mercy, his faithfulness. And all he's looking is for you to put your faith in his son. And because we're forgiven, because our sins have 
been removed from us as far as the east is from the west because we've been redeemed, because there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that I believe we can and should freely confess our sin knowing that Jesus paid it all. And so once again, as we close Lamentations chapter three, we're gonna close as we're gonna do every week in this series by praying a prayer of repentance. And so if you would please bow your heads with me. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker and judge of us all, we acknowledge and lament our many sins and offenses which we have committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your righteous anger against us. We are deeply sorry for these our transgressions. The burden of them is more than we can bear. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive us all that is past and grant that we may evermore serve and please you in newness of life to the honor and glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Take a moment to silently confess your sin to him. Praise God, we have 1 John 1, 9 that tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Father, we thank you once again for your great love and mercy, for your loving kindness, for your compassion, for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, for the forgiveness we have in him. And in whose name we pray, amen.